0: The onus is on you to drive your career. I would always say that your company owns your job, but not your career. So having the ability to, to adapt, your ability to learn and be hunger for that is key. Having a strong worth ethic, obviously, they'll be the key things I, I would say.
1: Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each week I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going next. This week's show, i am delighted to be joined by Ronan Clifford, the Treasury Director for Honeywell within the EMEA Corporate Treasury region. So Honeywell are obviously a massive company. They make a variety of different things, so commercial and consumer products, engineering services, aerospace, but both private and actually major corporations and government. In 2018, they were ranked 77th on the Fortune 500. We've done enough for me. Ronan, I wanted to kick off with your early career. So you actually started within finance and treasury. Walk us through the steps you took, if you like. So you started yourself at State Street in a bank. What, What was that? Yeah. When I started looking professionally
0: for a job, it was more trying to get a foot in the door rather than having a clear strategic career path in mind. I, I hadn't gone down the accounting route or the big four route or anything like that. I had a master's in financial and industrial mathematics, so I knew I wanted to do something in, in finance. The unfortunate thing was timing, so i just finished when the, the dot-com bubble burst. Uh, so it wasn't as active in terms of banks and and so forth weren't as as active in recruiting as uh, maybe they were the the year before so when the job in state street came up it was a foot in the door in finance connected to my my uh, qualification so it was an opportunity to see to understand what you know finance the different areas that you could get into and then take it from there so looking back It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of early starts. We uh, would—it was a back office role, so we would be in by six in the morning, looking at pricing different navs for funds and so forth. Gave me a good insight in terms of the various different roles from a back office, front office, middle office type initiatives. So I was with State Street for just over a year. Key thing I got from that was, it was my introduction purely to treasury. So the role itself wasn't a treasury role, it was pure back office support function role, but I got involved in a treasury risk project. From that project, that is essentially what tweaked my interest in the world of treasury. So when I got that experience, so I already had the qualifications, if you will, from a a degree in a master's program. Having the the additional then work experience working with the bank, it made my CV a bit stronger. So therefore, when I was being a candidate for other positions, it helped. I then was able to tailor my applications more so to a treasury role or a risk role. And that's ultimately how I then moved purely into treasury where I joined AIB, which is a large Irish bank in their treasury risk analyst team, a middle office role, if you will.
1: And what was that role like? So you were an analyst, you, you sort of stepped from back to middle office and we'll come into the, you've moved more into the front office area yeah. in other roles. But so you first, you're still in financial services, but a good all-round treasury analyst role? So
0: with this role, essentially, we were working with senior management and with the various dealers, uh, either in Dublin or in London, um, analysing their risk, making sure that the calculations and VAR and so forth were, uh, you know, tying in. Their mark-to-market figures were tying in, doing some research in terms of if they're doing any equity investing and so forth to make sure that the P&L, if you will, was tying back. So if we saw uh, all of a sudden a position build up in a certain equity market and they weren't, they're, they're breaching their internal limits, we would advise uh, senior management or we would speak directly with the trader. If they had waivers, we would build that into our model. So it was more, is that an analyzing to provide a risk-based reporting to to senior management. But it it allowed me to apply really interest rate knowledge that I had, FX rate knowledge, because they're the products that they're investing in, and also in on on the equity desk. So I started off mainly purely analyzing interest rates, but then within the three years or two and a half years I was working there, I got involved in all the various different aspects that the risk analyst team were, were working on. As I said, it was purely a middle office role. So for me, the frustrating part was that I was doing analysis, I was basing reports, I was making sure that the the very safety mechanisms were at least uh, monitored within the organization, but my role would stop at a certain point. It was kind of handing over to senior management if there was a limit breach or if it was getting close to a limit breach, speaking directly with the trader, trying to understand that, you know, they had a clear strategy that, they were working, in, uh, confi- working within the confines that they're supposed to, and if for whatever reason my numbers and their numbers didn't tie up, that uh, I was able to demonstrate that you know I had they, they were able to trust my numbers that I went with confidence to them because trying to tell a trader that they have to stop trading is a very difficult uh, <laughs> conversation to have. So therefore, I need to make sure that I had confidence in the details that I was presenting to them because in some cases we would it would trigger a stop loss in terms of their to trade, uh, so I, I, I needed to have the confidence to go have these conversations, but then also the confidence my own ability to trust my numbers. But the frustrating thing, as I said, it being the nature of a middle office, that dialogue stopped there. I wanted to see how I could utilize the risk-averse nature from coming from this background that I had, how could I utilize this skill set to make the next step into a a front office role, which ultimately led to the next step, which is uh, where I ended up with Fidelity, and the FX team based out of Dublin.
1: And that role, talk us through that, because then you made some really good, these are, you know, State Street, AIB, great blue-chip names, Fidelity, And Fidelity, GE, Pfizer, but talk us through the Fidelity role because, you know, interesting times, obviously, and interesting markets at the time as well. So this was back in 06 to 09.
0: Yeah, no, it was a g- good move for me, because as I said, I had built up from back office to a middle office role. But one of the key things I still remember to this day was from the interview process where when I went for the interview, the manager, or the manager time Thaylem, he asked me, why should I hire you? You're the only one that had that we're interviewing that has no direct dealing uh, dealer experience. I was caught on a hop. What do I say when I'm applying for a job and met the gentleman telling me that I, I don't necessarily have the skill set? I was able to prove that, yes, I didn't have necessarily direct experience per se, but I had the other skill sets that were required to help do the job. I come from a very risk detailed, risk oriented position. I worked very closely with various dealers. So, no, I didn't necessarily pull the trigger, but I had all the necessary skill sets that were transferable in order to maybe to move to the next step so it's one of those three things that were if you are looking at a job just because you don't tick all the boxes it doesn't mean that your skills aren't transferable mm. and that's something to really kind of take to, to understand that when um, when you are looking you may not have be the perfect candidate but your skills should always most of the time are transferable and you just have to be able to, to sell yourself and to demonstrate how where if there is a gap in your ability or a gap in your CV or a gap in your experience you've got something to compensate and in this case, I was able to compensate this from the risk averse background that I had developed over the few years. And thankfully, yeah. it worked because uh, they gave me the job.
1: I think it's an interesting point you make there as well, because I think we, you know, people have said to me, how has the recruitment market changed over the years and what have I seen? And at the times of pressure, I think the times are, times have changed well, although, although markets are busy, clients are having to be a bit more flexible. Three, four years ago, they weren't having to be flexible because everyone was looking for a role and everything else. And coming back to exactly your point is how much of a role can you do? When I'd have clients who were saying, well, I want to recruit this person. I want them to be able to do 100% of the job. I went, well, that's fine, but what? how, how are they going to grow? How are they going to expand their role? There's, n- there's nothing for them to learn. And the clients were like, well, I don't care. I've got loads of pressure on me. I need someone that can hit the ground running, whereas three, four years before that, you were saying to someone, look, they'll come in and be able to do 50% of the role and 30% is stretch for that person and 20% is totally brand new. Are you okay with that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll put in some effort and stuff like that. And I think as the market's got harder and tougher, you know, it was actually, no, I need them to do that. But as you say, it's about being mostly ready for the role or prepared to do it and put the effort in and learn things. And then with that, you were so you did your role at Fidelity. Was, the, was it a natural transition straight across to GE and Pfizer, or were there no. stuff to you to learn or what happened?
0: With uh, Fidelity, it was a great learning experience. So as I said, the FX, Global FX, was run out of Dublin. It was Mm. a great experience to liaise with the different banks. We were introducing NDFs, non-deliverable forwards at the time. We had to configure our our TMS uh, and work very closely with portfolio managers to essentially manage the currency risk and the funds that they were running and so forth. Mm. It was very, very interesting, but unfortunately, due to the global recession, Uh, at the time and the areas that i was supporting the the business on it was viewed ultimately last in uh, last out type scenario so the position itself got uh, made redundant so where the areas i was supporting the funds on uh, there wasn't any the additional revenue. We weren't passing on these costs to the fund managers and so forth. So when they did a portfolio reorganization review, the position that I was actually looking at at the time was made redundant. So it forced me to, to stop and to reevaluate. While previously I had kind of been focused on, once I got into the back office role, my, my mindset changed in the sense that, okay, right, I want to get to a front office role. That's where the more interesting things in, in finance happen, that's where I I kind of see my myself and my career going to and I made the necessary steps to get there. So when that went away and the environment, it was very, very difficult to move to another front office role. Mm. So I kind of had to pause and to reevaluate what I needed to do. I won't say to reinvent, but I wanted to say, how do I, where is hiring now? What are my skills that uh, can get me get me a job? So the GE position was a sidestep. It was something from a professional point of view didn't work out. Even though I, I took the job, I worked for it for a few months but I very quickly realised that this wasn't this wasn't the right fit for me as a as a professional. I was just reanalyzing because once you have a job, it's always easier. So yeah. the initial move uh, into into that position wasn't under normal circumstances, if you will. The move to Pfizer definitely was. I, I had the ability, I think, to pause and reflect a little bit more because again, I had the security of having a, having a position again, and I wanted to see where and how I could get back and start driving my career again, I suppose to stop being a casualty of the global recession. I've managed to pick myself up. My CV, my skill sets are still relevant. How do I transform this to move into a corporate treasury role. So again, even though uh, previously within, um, it was more banking in the financial sector, how do I take this sidestep and to reinvent, to utilize my skills so that I've developed and apply them to uh, the corporate structure? Uh, I was fortunate because it gave me a niche that Pfizer were looking for. So it allowed me to make that switch into a, a corporate treasury role, which is what uh, I moved into within um, Pfizer, which is from their a treasury team for their global fx which was quite an interesting role again based in dublin
1: so you made the move from you know you'd had these series of roles in within financial services and the contrast then coming into a you know core corporate treasury role pfizer great corporate to go in and really cut your teeth in yeah. but you know the question how was it different you know what was the was it different culture was a different pace or was it exactly the same or what were the commonalities what were the differences
0: I was very fortunate because my manager at the time there, Mark Cunningham, was a great guy that I was able to to learn from. But Pfizer was they very much fostered an environment of openness, of diversity, of appreciating that every employee is different. Uh, so when I moved into that environment, it was somewhere where as a young gay professional, I felt it was an opportunity for me to be myself uh-huh. and not necessarily hide an area or an aspect of my life. So when I moved to Pfizer, I definitely made a conscious decision that this is where, somewhere where I, I can be out and be comfortable. So just in terms of general conversation with my manager at the time, it came up naturally in conversation, but they it definitely had a strong cultural environment where it allowed somebody like me to have that confidence and have that comfort to be able to be out in a workplace. Mm. It gave me the strength and the ambition to actually drive my career even more because I ultimately was more more myself, if you will, so I was able to step in more, be more vocal, knowing that Pfizer and mark and and the then the team there was no issues in terms of any discrimination between sex, skin color, religion, sexual orientation like that. It was a very diverse setup and it allowed me to i suppose be a more of a confident team player yeah. uh, from there it I really got involved in 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 what I'm really passionate about now, which is continuous improvement, technology, innovation. uh, And when you see how that plays into treasury roles now it's really and it really was kind of like the awakening within me i went through six sigma training both yellow belt and green belt training i became a continuous improvement champion within the organization it really helps me you know look at take a step back look at processes what's been what's happening what did we do in the past are there something certain areas we can look at uh, and make things different And I always had encouragement from management. I always had encouragement from my colleagues. So yeah, having that diverse uh, environment really did strengthen my career and bring a lot out of me. And that then really became the accelerator for me and and my career. Mm. Because when the right opportunity happened within the organization, they were doing some carve-outs. They're divesting their uh, Nutri business, which they sold to Nestle. And then they were spinning out their animal health business, which became a a new company called Zoetis. I saw this as a real opportunity. And I had developed the background in continuous improvement. I, I developed the background. When the opportunity arose, and they said, right, well, We're going to be setting up a new treasury center. It's going to be based out of Belgium. I immediately went, I have the skill sets, I have the drive. I thankfully also have the track records to run with this. Mm. So when I spoke with Mark, he went very strongly (laughs) encouraging me to pursue. I became the interim um, treasury person for Zoetis at the time because it was something I saw right. If I start working for them, it makes the transition easier. Then I interviewed for the position. Thankfully, it also came with a promotion as well. I think that was really the accelerator for my career because I was very fortunate because I was able to get the skill set that I needed. Again, with Six Sigma training and the various continuous improvement projects that i worked on that when an opportunity arose i made myself the strongest candidate that i could and then with pfizer the opportunity arose and as i said it's been great yeah.
1: ronan can you just explain you know some of our listeners will know exactly what six sigma is i do through ge and everything else but just you know just a few words just for someone perhaps earlier in their career they're like i've heard this six sigma thing but you know just explain what that is to people and why that's important in treasury would you say
0: It gives you the mindset where you can look at an existing process and see where the non-value-add steps are. When you go from A to B to C to D, do all these steps make sense? Is there a business reason for them? Is there a compliance reason for them? Or is this just non-value-add step that just was created? Or is there new technology that can replace this? and so forth. So it's essentially looking at what's currently being done in an organization and see if it's something that you can do in a more smart and efficient manner.
1: Hmm. Also, I just want to go back a stage as well. I said to you before, and I don't know if we actually got this, but the transition between financial services treasury and then you were deeply embedded in a corporate treasury environment. How would you say, you know, looking back on those, they differed? Until I joined Honeywell,
0: the first thing I would have said, pace. Things tend to move a little bit slower with corporate treasury because it's just the nature of that. Uh, you're, you're safeguarding the financial risk of the organization. Therefore, and particularly, I suppose, pre-crisis or during the crisis, a lot of treasurers may have been more passive. They didn't necessarily always have a top seat at the decision-making table. I think that has changed quite considerably. Uh, Treasury is seen as more as a, an active partner with the business, more than a passive partner than they may have previously been. But within a financial institution, it is the core of the business. So within Fidelity, providing the different, pouring the funds and so forth with the FX hedging solutions that we provided, that was the core of Fidelity's business. Mm-hmm. Same with AIB on their dealing team, you know, looking at their interest rate risk, the FX risk, taking positions uh, and so forth. That was that's how they were. These these two organisations essentially were making their money. On the corporate side, that isn't the case. You're there purely to support the business, to grow, to make sure that liquidity is there and so forth. So a lot of times you go underneath the radar so therefore, things can move slower. It's harder maybe to get some change because you are dealing with potentially large, large flows and therefore there can be reluctance to maybe re-examine how things are happening or what's or how things are working because they are working, mm. uh, while within the financial sector, it's more cutting pace. So when I look back, when we had to introduce the ability to trade NDFs into our uh, TMS system, it wasn't the case of, you know, this was nice to have our portfolio portfolio managers are looking to do something in russia we need a we need some way to look after the fx you know you've got a year to figure this out it was we're doing this on this date <laughs> if you don't mind <laughs> that, if you don't work out the financial manage the financial risk that's on you so yeah. it's very much a different pace
1: pfizer to zoetis the spin-off and things but that was a, a location change as well so you've been in dublin and you you then said oh dublin i know belgium was that right and you know how how was that as a shift
0: in all honesty, Belgium wasn't high on my list of countries to th- accelerate my career.
1: I, I would right. say, sorry, we love Belgium. We do lots of work in Belgium. <laughs> it's a lovely place and I love visiting it and uh, and I'm sure you love working there, but you carry on, please. Yeah.
0: Don't, don't don't get me wrong. I have probably done more for the Belgium Tours Board than most, most Belgians. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very fond of uh, my adoptive home. Yeah. But I, I suppose when you think of uh, treasury career, you immediately think of London, New York, even parts of Switzerland, Singapore, Mm. those type of countries. But again, Pfizer, they chose their treasury center to be set up in Belgium. To me, it was moving from a Western European country to another Western European country. So the transition was a little bit easier. Um, It was the same culture of diversity that's being fostered in the new company. So therefore, I knew it was going to be a a similar fit for me and somewhere where I could grow. So in that regard, the transition was easy. When I spoke about it to some of my friends or some of my my uh, colleagues that I would previously work have worked with in senior positions in organizations they have all had an element of working internationally. I really can't think of anybody within my network that hasn't spent some time outside of their own country to gain that international experience. Pretty certain every any person I know of who's in a senior position within any organization have all spent at least some time working on an international project, be it secondment or be it something more long term like me. I view this as a great opportunity to differentiate myself from my I won't say my competition, but from my peer group. So when it came to the next step, they would see my CV as in, yes, this candidate has built up and progressively moved up from various different roles within Dublin, great, great experience, but has also succeeded in another environment and another location, which, again, diversifying your, your, your CV, making yourself doing everything you can to make sure you're, you're the strongest candidate if or when positions come up, and working internationally is definitely viewed as one of them.
1: You were in Belgium with Zoetis. Then you made a move to join, as we said, at the header of the show, And perhaps you can describe Honeywell yeah. for everyone. How did that come about? Zoetis, so the main thing for what
0: really excited me was that we moved from, I was moving essentially from a corporate treasury operational role. I was headed up the front office there in Belgium. Even though it was an established business, The treasury center felt like a startup. So it was very exciting. We had to design everything from scratch because what the processes were in place made sense for Pfizer. Mm. We were a lot smaller. You yeah. know, you're, you go from a market cap of 200 billion down to a company that, that the size that Zoetis became. It was completely different ballgame, but similar risks and, and so forth. So the startup element of that became very, very exciting. But I, I felt after the two years of working with Zoetis, I felt that I was becoming at risk again to becoming a, a niche player, having FX experience, having the, the front office experience. I felt I needed something more strategic to give me more strength and depth in my cv Mm. so at this stage it was pretty much the first time i used linkedin previously i had a maybe let's say a skeleton profile nothing really there i had it because everybody else had linkedin rather than than using it in any way shape or form Mm -hmm. but I, i sat down spent some time working on my profile, then looking at opportunities on LinkedIn. I saw this position within Honeywell. I was going, well, do I want to stay in Belgium? Do I want to go back to Dublin? Why not see what Honeywell has to offer? I was quite intrigued then when I did the different research uh, regarding the various awards that Treasury had won and, and the various peer recognition the team had generated over the years, that naturally in, enticed me to go meet the team when they had the position uh, advertised. So when I sent off my application as uh, was successful, I was invited for a, an interview. It was probably one of the very first times that when I went for a job interview, not only was I excited by the position and the op- uh, the opportunity, but it was also the people. You got a real sense of drive, you're moving away from a sluggish corporate treasurer where maybe things happen at a slower pace to going, this is possibly not, it's not the business that the company's in, but because the business moves at a at such a fast pace, treasury has to move at a fast pace. We have to evolve to stay relevant, If you don't, we're not going to bring value-add to the the business. And I got a real sense of that from uh, both Severine, who's a treasury director there, and Marie Astrid, who's the assistant treasurer, uh, the two ladies that interviewed me. And again, they reassured me in terms of the corporate diversity that they have in uh, the organization that how it's not only just a core belief or a a behavior within Honeywell, there is like most organizations, they have these types of company or corporate behaviors. It's essential within the organization that Mm -hmm. diversity is what drives the organization. And speaking to to both Marie Astrid and Severine, I got 100% that feedback, that vibe from them, their passion for continuous improvement, innovation. I felt that these are people I'm going to learn from. And when you are in that and type type of environment. It's very hard then not to want to pursue. It would no longer became a job. It was kind of like this is actually not only a company I could work well in. These are people I could very much learn from, and vice versa as well. They could learn from my skill set. So I felt it fits into everything I was looking for in, in terms of moving away from an operational role which I had traditionally been involved in to a much more strategic role, which is what I'm in now. And thankfully, it's been going very well because. Because uh, the four years I've been in the organization, I have been promoted twice. So I started off as a treasury manager and, and now thankfully I'm, I'm a treasury director. So it's uh, when you're in the right company and it's the right ethos for you it, you, it really brings the best out of you. And I'm pleased to say that I think it's, uh, it's, it's been a great move for me so far.
1: Ronan's has very kindly agreed to talk to us today, and he's actually based out in Dubai just uh, at the moment, whilst he's attending an HSBC roundtable event with AI, robotics and technology, and that was something that I know that you've got a real interest in, if you like. We've got a, a special feature series coming up where I'm going to interview some guys about technology and various other bits. But Harks back to another question I, I put to sort of Royston Foster, who's very much into his technology solutions and things like that. And I'll put it to you, and I'll give you a moment to sort of think about it as well. Treasury technology, why bother?
0: Why bother? Well, first, I'm going to add the caveat: it's uh, it's a work trip; it's not all sun in Dubai. Oh no, no. Uh, no, no. Just just in case anybody from Honeywell is, uh, <laughs> is so why treasury and technology? Because if you don't, you're you're no longer relevant. Uh, that's how I see it. When we meet our banking partners and as you can appreciate, we would meet banks constantly, uh, it's not just talking about cash management. We don't talk to them about just about fees, um, you know the basics, the bread and butter type operation. We want to know where they're investing their time, their money, and what their digital strategy is because if the bank doesn't stay relevant to us, why would we bank with the bank? Treasury has to think the same way. We, we have to stay, stay relevant for our organizations. Otherwise, we're not going to be a value-add part of an organization. Maybe for some companies or some organizations, the the setup is you could probably argue, yes, being a passive treasury is the right approach, uh, and that, that that's fine. But if you want to be a forward-thinking and stay relevant, I think it's uh, you, you have to.
1: You say about those guys have got to stay relevant and stay up with you guys. Well, what are you trying to get out of it? What's the sort of benefit for Treasury? Is it simply in actually our cash and revenues are that much better or, you know, what is it?
0: With uh, coming to buy, the main reason here is uh, we're meeting uh, my core business colleagues and uh, to understand how we can support them better because we don't have a physical treasury, treasurer based in uh, this region. But when, when when I came, well, we obviously want to speak to our with our banks. When HSBC then approached me about speaking about innovation, well, I was happy to do so because we, we constantly do it because it's a double-sided benefit in the sense that one of the things we're very, very proud of really in Honeywell Treasury is that we're viewed as a catalyst for change within the industry so we worked very closely with our banks to accelerate the use of e-signatory for example it was something that we were quite proud of that we won a tmi award for their last year regarding our uh, digital strategy and moving to electronic signature. we were able to do that because we had a close working relationship with our banks in particularly barclays where i, I sit on the advisory board at barclays our client advisory board at, at barclays where they get they, they send ideas out from corporates. As HSBC know, Honeywell are quite a, a vocal client. They asked uh, while I was here to speak with some of their other corporates about, about change. The reason why we do it is because then we were able to influence our banking partners in terms of where they're going. So when they look at rolling out their various different products, we've had a role in in developing them to make them relevant for Treasury and also to accelerate it because it's all well and good having something fantastic in three years time if you need it now, it gets frustrating. So we're able to push our banks, challenge our banks going, give us the 10% improvement now, enables us to do our jobs quicker, faster, more efficiently, to do more or less, which is ultimately what all treasury departments are forced to do. Give us the tools that we need now, even if it's only small incremental improvements, rather than trying to package this up in a nice presentation with a bow uh, if we have to wait three years' time. So that's ultimately why we work with our banks. Regarding technology, why do we do it ourselves is ultimately efficiency. So sometimes, yes, this efficiency can lead to a reduction in, in, in man hours, so we can focus on additional value-add tasks. One of my colleagues at the moment is working on a project with robotics where we'll be able to enhance our, potentially enhance our, our yield because we're removing the non-value-add data gathering of the analysis to allowing us time to make pure decisions and therefore potentially maximize our yield. So it's across the board from time savings to actual real hard dollar generation aspects as well.
1: That technology piece segues quite nicely actually into when you're looking for members, team members, whether internally or externally, you're trying to recruit people because obviously, as we said before, you're on a podcast hosted by the Treasury Recruitment Company. So that's the thing we're innately interested in when you are recruiting. What are you looking for? Is it... The grip on technology or is it qualifications is it personality type what are the what's the the skill set you're particularly focusing in on as you as in ronan and perhaps then separately what what a honeywell look for as well
0: the easiest way to me to answer that is something when i spoke with our our treasurer jim recently what he asked all of us to do is essentially to act courageous which is one of our honeywell goals but ultimately what that means is to push yourself to do something that may be outside your uh, comfort zone and demonstrate that either through your CV or through the interview process. So, and that then would depend on what level you're applying for. So maybe if you're applying for a more junior role, that, being courageous or pushing yourself could be getting those treasury qualifications and that could be the right would be where we would look at going right. this person you know they're just out of high school or they're just out of university they've taken the last year or so they've done the act exams or what i did when i was in ireland i did the iact exams in conjunction with uh, dublin city university to strengthen up my CV because my background was mathematics and politics, not necessarily pure finance. So again, I I took that step to plug a gap or to to strengthen my my CV. So when you're looking at that level, perhaps qualifications are important, be it a qualified accountant or a specific degree or a a, a, a treasury-specific qualification like the IACT or the ACT or whatever jurisdiction's a local equivalent. Um, But how I would sum it all up is someone who has said it, it acts courageous. So when I look at my CV and uh, how I think I have done it, I've always pushed on the continuous improvement side. So I, I have a story to tell. It's not just looking at, he he, worked from, he he worked in company A for X amount of months. It's like he's delivered on this project. How did he deliver in these projects? Yeah. He went and got Six Sigma qualifications. So I, I drove the change and success, uh, if you will. So it, it's to act with courageous and, and put yourself into situations situations where you've been forced to learn and delivered because it makes it easier to have a, a story and then you have a conversation with the recruiter and it's a lot different than just go oh yeah I worked here we did this 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 mm. but if, if you're able to demonstrate how and how what you did how you went about it and ultimately if you put yourself in a situation where you didn't have the skill set but you acquired a skill set and you still delivered they're the
1: type of people that we would hire well, I don't want to steal from Jim and his background, <laughs> but well, it actually harks very much back to, I gave the keynote speech at the Austria Treasurer's Conference last year, and, we, and we're and we going to sort of revitalize some of the bits that, one of the things that came out from all the research I did before, and we talked about being a passenger on the career train, or actually being the driver of the career train. and it was a good analogy but we didn't really make too much of it but actually in some of the speeches we're going to do this year it's much more and i think it really feeds directly into what you said about being courageous as you say but it's then defining you know that you lead your career or you could just sit there you can sit there and do your job for five ten years and and the handle yeah you might get ten but if you take an active role in your own career that you know particularly within treasury you can make a hell of a difference and also have an incredible career which is one of the things. You know, when I spoke to Ronan before the show started, he was saying, you know, I'm still on my career path as I grow and everything else. I thought, exactly. You know, it's amazing the way that you're, you know, we've had sort of some more senior treasurers, but I think there's a commonality about treasury. You know, one of the things that I've also said to people is there are so many great treasurers out there and I've been doing it 20 years and I sometimes make the joke that new treasury guys do all the same job in exactly the same way just you know, with different staff and people say, "Really?" I said, "No." That's what's amazing about it is that the job that you do and that you did as a the job you now do at Honeywell, they're different, but you there are some common tools you might use, but the approaches are really different. I mean, you know, going with that, where, where do you see sort of treasury going in the future? Where do you see it sort of developing?
0: Well, I suppose everybody is feeling the pain in the sense of we're forced to do more at less. So therefore, you have to figure that out how you stay relevant how you're able to support the business is technology the right uh, way to go and then when you look at technology what is the right path a lot of buzzwords are talking about AI, AP, robotics and so forth but they may not be the right answer you have a TMS or if you have a TMS should I say mm. that could be your core starting point that might be enough to answer your initial pain points to alleviate any pressures that you or your team have had to deliver uh, the results that you required and then as a as you get more advanced or as your company gets more advanced or if things change, that's when you can start looking at maybe more sophisticated aspects like robotics and AP Mm. and and so forth I wouldn't say it's to stay I wouldn't say every single treasurer now has to run out and learn how to program everybody has to run out now and understand how you work with a robot are we going to be replaced by these Uh, it's not that at all it's you need to understand what's out there Mm. and then from understanding what's out there what's relevant to your organization and what's going to be the right fit for your organization Uh, and then hopefully have the budget or have the time and have the right people to be able to implement that because I think if you are stuck in a way where you've got people that aren't challenging the team and they're doing the same thing over and over again, they're not going to be necessarily satisfied with their roles and you've got the risk then of potential high turnover. And then, you know, if someone leaves, can you replace them? Well, if you can get technology that removes the non-value-add aspect of those people's jobs. So again, like robotics or particularly like utilizing your, your TMS, you've got your team that are more, I wouldn't say more focused, but they're more engaged. They realize that they moved away from pure process-driven situation or they're looking no longer looking at non-value-add tasks to moving something that's more strategic. And I think that's what, when you look at your treasury team, how do you make it more strategic? How do you bring more value-add to the organization? How do you get the information, the visibility on your cash in order to either present to your senior management or to, in order to make better investment uh, decisions or to analyze your relationship with your banks are your banks charging what they say they're charging you you know is there opportunity to implement something that will be cost neutral i.e maybe looking at a product that we're currently looking at with it is which is Redbridge, and analyzing our bank fees when we look at this to us for treasuries is is essentially going to be cost neutral by any recharge any rebate that we can get from our our banking groups Mm. so there's technology that's out there that you may need a budget for, but then there's also technology out there that, due by its pure nature, it's either going to create wealth, i.e. you're going to make better investment decisions, or it's going to give you opportunities to reduce your banking charges, or it gives you the ability to have more structured dialogue with your banking partners in terms of sharing the wallet, sharing the business, because you're able to drill down and use your data and go, right, bank A, B, C, I know exactly how much you guys are receiving of me. I know exactly you know, how much we do in trade how much we do in FX, how much we do in this, and push your banks to get better pricing because when you have data and good data quality, it's It leads to different conversations you have either within your own organization where you're able to demonstrate the additional value add that Treasury brings or with your banking partners where either you can look for extra yield or you can uh, push to uh, get a different pricing rate or you can just do what we do as well within Treasury, have the opportunity to push the banks to deliver something that will enable better results for you. Again, King with, uh, with initially Barclays, and then... BNP Paribas and Deutsche Bank. We've now gone paperless across a number of countries. Uh, and in terms of time-save and non-value-add and in, in, in chasing signatories, it's really made things uh, a lot simpler for us. And it's freed um, some of our colleagues to focus on other areas. Mm. So it's been um, a big focus for us and I think it should be a big focus for all treasurers.
1: That sort of reflects a show that was just released this week, actually, that when, by the time this comes out, it'll be a couple of weeks old. but. I spoke to Joel Campbell from H&R Block in the US and one of the things that we he and I talked about and I think you've encapsulated it there was potentially that the there's been an evolution of the role you know and we talk about where's treasury gone and been and things but we see it very much we talked about that it's the evolution of the role is of both the treasurer and the treasury team is to become a a buffer if you like for the or catalyst maybe for the CFO with technology and new ideas and initiatives that I CFOs putting all these things coming, but actually pushes the treasurer out in front or the treasury team saying, guys, can you just, you know, filter this for me? What's going to make that because you're, you know, you're at the forefront of things and, You know, treasury is all about the future and what's coming up, but you're at the front of it. And then actually assessing it and, you know, then what is going to work and things like that. So yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, very good. I would agree with that completely, and it's what we, what I, well, I went to an
0: innovation day with BNP there last month, and it's what both the bank and us both said. The banks ultimately are becoming like an app store for yeah, the various fintechs and then when you look at the different the current ecosystem it's so so big treasury is working with the banks to tunnel or to channel that that selection of fintechs to see within your organization what makes sense because some of it treasury is your pathway into your into a corporate but it may not necessarily be the tool treasury would actually use so for example Mm -hmm. you could be looking at some api that could be useful for procurement but treasury but it's done by but in conjunction with a banking partner the bank's going to come to us we're going to see if it makes sense and we can see if it makes sense either for a different department or again as you mentioned to the cfo Mm.
1: okay so as we wrap up today's show i spoke to ronan before and we got permission again to put his linkedin profile or link to his linkedin profile in the show notes so you can connect to him there if you're within treasury and he you know it's going to be good to have you in the professional network and everything else but as you look back over you know a number of years of experience you know I said there's more to come and everything else but if someone looks at your background maybe they are working as a, a treasury analyst at the likes of an AIB and they say actually that's the sort of career I want to follow I want to make those moves and things like that what overarching advice would you give to that person? What you talked about qualifications, different be courageous and stuff, but taking that to one side, what would you put down as your, you know, key to success or you know, the piece of advice you might give to those guys?
0: Realizing that you have to stay relevant, you have to stay current, you have to have the ability to adapt. Taylor, you look at your skill set where you're strong, look at your weaknesses and so forth. Uh, identify these and be the, be the onus is on you to drive your career. I would always say that your company owns your job but not your career. So having the ability to to adapt, your ability to learn and be hunger for that is key. Having a strong worth ethic, obviously, they'd be the key things I would say. Cool.
1: That's a little catchphrase I've just put here. The company owns your job, you own your career. What a great summary from Ronan there, Ronan. Great show. Thank you very much. I've i loved it. Actually, really. In you know, we've gone sort of a natural path through your background. And uh, as I say, I think if if you want to connect with Ronan, you'll, we'll put his LinkedIn connection in there. So it all leads to me. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Mike.